0: Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org and stay motivated leaders, stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Ryan Leak. He's an author, executive coach, and motivational speaker who gets to inspire over 50,000 people every single month. That's a lot of folks. So he's the author of the USA Today best-selling book, Chasing Failure, How Falling Short Sets You Up for Success, and his most recent book, Leveling Up, 12 Questions to Elevate Your Personal and Professional Development, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Ryan, welcome to Motivational Mondays.
1: Corey, it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you. And guess what? I didn't tell you this. My brother's name's Corey. So oh, really? I, I have a special affinity for you, my boy. <laughs> is it the same spelling? It is the exact same spelling. The thing is, when I see that E is missing,
0: I'm like, <laughs> You don't trust heck? him. Uh, can't yeah, some something's a little off when the E is missing. But you know, <laughs> awesome. I have like a lot of friends who are gonna probably call me now. And be like, yo, yeah. my you know my, my E is missing, but anyway, all right. it's all good. That's awesome. Well, Awesome man. Well, listen, let's start with your previous book just to give a little background to what your 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 focus and your writings have been. So your first book, as I mentioned, Chasing Failure, what was the inspiration behind that
1: one? There was something I wanted to do that I had always dreamed of as a kid, and that was to be an NBA. You know, what what kid with a basketball in their hand doesn't think about that? And as I had gotten older and I you know I played college ball, was all American and but never pursued the pros and had an opportunity to get connected with Kobe Bryant. And it was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to meet Kobe without knowing that I had like tried to like really see what was in me. I think there's this thing in all of us that can sometimes scare us. And it's this word potential. Mm -hmm. And for me, before I leave the planet, I want to make sure that I've tapped into mine. And so I just want to get the most out of my life. And so I started thinking about this question, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And when I answered that question, well, I I said I'd be in the NBA. And so um, I went out to try and figure out if I would indeed fail. And my my thought process was I'm going to let failure give me its best shot and I'm going to give it my best shot. And let's see who comes out on top. Let's just see what happens when we try stuff. Here's the other thing that most people don't even really think about. The top companies in the world have what's called an R&D budget. Billions are spent every year of them just trying stuff. Mm. Why wouldn't we expend some of our resources, big or small, at the level that we're at, on trying things as well? It's the only way, I believe that uh, you can really grow and and really step into elite territory. And so that was the genesis of chasing failure.
0: Well, you know, that drives home another point too, that I've heard you make, which is that sort of like, you know, the the journey is where you learn everything, right? You know? So if you try to like sidestep that part of it Mm -hmm. to have success or to reach success, uh, chances are it could be short lived because you didn't really learn anything. Along the way, because you didn't try stuff, you didn't fail, right? And learn from those mistakes. I see a direct correlation there as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think that there is this massive gap between what you can do and what you will do. And I think the people in this world that are making things happen, they've just closed that gap. So a lot of people can get in shape. They have the ability to do so. Just don't do it. Mm. There's a lot of people that can write a book. They just don't do it. I've just decided I want to be one of those people that we're not just looking at potential. After a while, you start looking at track record. You say, no, like, we did it. Did I feel like writing a book? No. <laughs> not at all. But did I enjoy it? Do I enjoy the results of it? Do I enjoy the fruit? They go, absolutely. And can it make a difference in people's lives? Absolutely. And so I think sometimes you have to be willing to do the thing that most people won't do. And I think what most people aren't willing to do is they're not willing to fail. And I'm just willing to fail stuff that most people are afraid to try.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the successful things or one of the the main denominators I see between successful people, uh, very often it is that trait of they – were given an opportunity and they didn't even know how to do what they were asked to do, a job opportunity, a task. And they said, yes, <laughs> of course I'll do it. And then they were like, okay, shit, now how do I? <laughs> and they made sure they found the right people to help them figure it out. Or, you know, they, they stepped into the unknown and were not afraid to try. It's a trait between the most successful business people or
1: people who are just successful. I get to work with a lot of elite, very successful people, fortune 500. I was with a fortune 80 company yesterday. I don't want to put their business out in the street, but <laughs> I just, I just want to encourage somebody. Don't nobody know what they're doing. I, I, like there is this facade. I got this. No, they don't. Mm. I think the pandemic was a great reset for everybody because it, it gave people freedom to go, I don't know how to do this. It's like, you didn't know how to do it before a pandemic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't try and use COVID. (laughs) But but, but COVID
1: gave everyone the opportunity to go, okay, we're all in this thing together. And it gave Mm. people permission to be honest about the the things that they just, uh, that they just don't know. And so a lot of people have, you know, faked it till they made it. So, so to speak, but, but I, I, I think that behind the scenes of some of the most successful people in the world are, little boys and little girls who are scared out of their mind. We're given a role, we're given something and they figured it out. I couldn't tell anybody, but when you take away their armor, you take away some of their awards, they would go, no, we, 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 we tried some stuff. I read some books, got a degree. I'm educated, but at the same time, we're trying to figure these things, these things out. Record inflation. Uh, you, you begin to look at where the economy is at, where things are politically, socially, technological, environmental. You look at some of the key indicators that businesses rise and fall on. To pretend that you're an expert in any one of those is somewhat humorous. And so I think what I've been able to do over the past few years, being a guy that has waved the failure banner, I get people to be honest with me. Like I get people to raise their hand and go. We're actually not doing as well as people think we are, mm-hmm. but we're yeah. just afraid to look like a failure. It's just like, well, no, like, what if we were dishonest about it? So the more honest I am about my failures and my setbacks and my mistakes, it's amazing who comes out of the woodworks and says, yeah, well, me too. I've been, in, I've been in that boat too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which also is aligned with another trait of leadership that we discuss a lot at the NSLS, which is the accountability piece, right? Yeah. I mean, that ties right into you cannot move forward unless you accept the stuff that you don't know, need help with, your shortcomings, right? All those things. That's the accountability piece that then um, allows you to at least own it and then say, okay, how do I move around (laughs) it? For sure. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, so, you know, and I also will just bring it back to, uh, so I'm in the midst of writing two books. One, I'm almost finished, right? Okay. And one I haven't started yet, but I have a great outline. And I'm also trying to get back in shape to get rid of like this 15 COVID pounds that, you know, I have no excuse anymore because the pandemic's been over for like a year. So it's funny that you just mentioned <laughs> book writing and going to the gym.
1: I wasn't trying to call you out. You were,
0: I, I feel attacked.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to
0: say I feel attacked, but we're going to move on. But uh, And I'm going to go yeah. to the gym
1: after this interview. That's
0: awesome. So your second book, though, your current book, Leveling Up, 12 Questions to Elevate Your Personal and Professional Development also something we're interested in because our whole platform here at the NSLS is both building character, professional development. Yeah. So uh, so share with me your inspiration behind that book and what you hope people take from it.
1: You know, throughout a pandemic, I saw that there were people that thrived in a pandemic and other people who simply survived a pandemic. And what I began to notice was that there was just a mindset difference. The people that thrived in a pandemic Uh, We're often self-starters. They were not waiting for someone else to come save them. I almost entitled the book, Nobody's Coming. Almost. I was this close to like driving home that idea. Nobody's coming to save you. And nobody owes you anything. You owe it to yourself to take things to the next level. And so what I discovered is that the people that were thriving the most were people that just said, you know what, they, they led themselves well. So it's, it's considered a self-leadership book. And these are uh, questions that we designed in our executive coaching practice that we discovered could help people go to the next level. If they're continuously asking the right questions, Uh, we're coaches, not cops is a line we use often. In other words, I'm not going to tell you what to do and arrest you when you don't do it. I'm not going to pull you over and give you a ticket. No, I'm going to give you some tools to go in the right direction. And then when I'm not in the room, hopefully that tool is still guiding you. So, for example, one of the questions in the book is, uh, what's the right thing to do? I'm not going to tell you what the right thing to do is. We could actually argue about what the right thing to do is. But the people we work with, people we live with, the people that we love, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors at least should be able to, to understand and see that you and I are asking on a consistent basis, what's the right thing to do? I'm not saying I'm always going to get it right, but my family, my friends, people that work for me, the people that work with me, they know push come the shove. Ryan's going to try to do the right thing. And that's the integrity question. So. I noticed that when I would equip my clients with that question, it changed their conversation in a lot of boardrooms to go, hey, what's the right thing to do? Which is different than what's the most profitable thing to do. Now, what's what's the right thing to do? It's the integrity question. The interesting thing about integrity is you can't always prove integrity. It's felt you can tell when someone's genuine and when something's mm, some 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 uh, sums off about them as it pertains to diversity equity and inclusion you can tell someone who talks about dei versus somebody who lives the ei right it's, right there's an authenticity there is a genuine and i can't prove that you're not walking the walk i can just feel it and when I just have that mm, feeling, I just don't trust you. And I may never even voice it. Right, right. And so, again, it's I call every question in the book a loaded question because they all lead to more questions. They're not just surface questions. They're, it makes you think consistently, well, well what, what's the right thing to do? And I got offered to uh, go to Barcelona and speak but it was during my son's spring break and due to travel, it it actually would basically take up all of his spring break and he would not be able to go. Well, for me, I just, what's the right thing to do? And again, someone else can make the argument that the right thing to do is to go make a bunch of money in another country. Sure. and, And someone else is going to make that decision. But for me, in light of, the future that I want to have with my family and my friends, I felt like the right thing to do is to stay home.
0: Yeah. That's so uh, powerful because it really lines with the, the idea that you have to always sort of be impeccable and, and have integrity in what you believe in. And you're right. It's no, there's no wrong or right. It's about what's right for you. But I think that when you lead from a place of consciousness, thinking about other people other than yourself, like in that moment you just shared, it was almost like I was thinking what if your son didn't want to go to Barcelona with you or what if he did and then what if his what if he had plans for his spring break or his break and he was going to hang just hang out with his friends and be a kid that was his memory his time to have that moment and you made a choice that you weren't going to interfere with his memories of childhood right it was like that's deep that's deep
1: and and again Next year, I could be in the exact same position. And like you said, he could be at a camp or maybe he's going to go do – he has plans of his own. So it's it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. But I do think it is a one-size-fits-all question because it's – again, you you don't – I don't think I'm ever going to arrive at – this is the – exact and my other son who – I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. They have two completely different personalities. And what they need from me versus their mom is, but, but we're consistently just, what's the right thing to do? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because you only get like one time sometimes to mess up with a kid. And and it's like, it can like derail so many things like that. They'll never get over. And you know, we've all been there as children. So, I mean, you're, when you have a chance as a parent to actually be more conscious of that, you know, that's powerful. And um I think that's commendable because, you know, I, might have just taken the money and ran personally myself, but I'm not a dad. <laughs> I'm not a dad, so I can easily say that too. But, you know, let's get to your keynote topics because, uh, so as I mentioned a lot about you you being an author, you were also a very, very sought after uh, keynote speaker. Yeah. As you just shared uh, a story how you were invited to Barcelona. You have so many amazing topics you cover in your keynote. So I wanted to go through a few that really stood out to me. And uh, the first one that I absolutely just, love is about, uh, self-leadership, but leading by example. And you gave this example of, you know, you can't, um, what was it? Oh yeah. You don't want to be the type of leader that says leaders are readers, but then you don't read yourself, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like that was so, uh, just it's simplistic and, uh, it's profound at the same time, but share a little bit about that philosophy.
1: I, I think we, have to, um, especially when you're in in, in any kind of leadership role, there is this idea of practice what you preach. I like to think of it in terms of practice before you preach. By the time you get up and say something, it's a reflection of who you already are. But if you're trying to communicate a message to other people and then try and get your actions to catch up with your words, you're losing influence, not gaining it. By the time you get up and say, you know what, this is how we should behave, or here's where I think the culture should go, or I think we need to usher in a culture of feedback, you you should have already been modeling a culture of feedback before you request a culture of feedback. So it can't be this thing of, Oh, I think we should change today and I'm going to lead mm-hmm. the charge. No, you got to lead the charge in, in practice, practicing it. And so I've just seen in my travels and coaching practice, people sort of regurgitate some of these, you know, famous quotes or leadership idioms that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of float around that people don't really live out. I think we've all met people in our life that felt like they were a great leader, that when you talk to their team, they're not actually following them. They follow them because they have to, not because they get to. So I think it's very important that we practice before we preach. And so when it ties to the,
0: the movement to be more diverse and equitable and more inclusive <laughs> uh, and more inclusive. Um, you know, that's also another one of your keynote talking points, which I yeah. love when you say uh, it's one thing to give a historically marginalized person, a job. Uh, it's another thing to give them a voice of influence, Correct. Uh, a decision-making table. And that is the big, big difference. So, and you, you kind of alluded to that earlier, you were talking about sort of like people who think they're doing the right thing with DEI, and i but are they really? So, so expand a little bit about that within organizations, this notion of like, you know, thinking you're doing something and actually doing something.
1: Well, again, I, I think one of the the threads through a lot of what I teach is, is uh, this thing of authenticity of just being real and, especially as it pertains to diversity, equity, and inclusion, any historically marginalized person is going to smell a fraud coming a mile away. It's (laughs) not hard. It's every historically marginalized person has a superpower. They can smell a fraud. it's, It's the same every time. And so what I, the way I teach diversity, equity, and inclusion is I used to teach people how to talk better. I used to teach how to upgrade your website to be a little bit more diverse. Mm. After about five years of doing that, if I'm honest, I think I may have done them a disservice. Mm. Because I changed how they look on the inside, but their thinking remained the same. So now they had the appearance of being diverse equitable and inclusive, but nothing had actually changed. And what I began to realize was that professional DE and I can't happen until there is personal DE and I. You're not going to just turn on an inclusion switch at work and right. then go home and be privately whoever you want to be. That just doesn't work. And so I think it's vitally important that a person does the work of DE&I when they don't have to. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's vitally important. And so um, I was just having a conversation with uh, a C-suite executive at an organization. And the other funny thing about DE&I is every company's kind of getting cute with how they do it. Some people are like, no, 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 no. It's D I E. Because we want inclusion to come before equity. And you're like, okay. And then some people are like, no, 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 no. We're doing I D E. Okay. Like, like they're trying to figure out the word. And now some are doing D-E-I-A. I'm like, can we chill with all the letters? Like, like, except like, can we just calm down? Okay. We know what we need to talk about, but one group had me do a diversity and inclusion talk. And it was specifically diversity and inclusion. I said, So y'all just got D I. We ain't got no E here. (laughs) You know, and I made that joke. Everybody could. And they said, Well, we're working on the E. And I said, Okay. How do you define E? They go, Well, we actually feel pretty good about You know, being equitable in our organization, we actually had an outside company come and look at everyone's pay. And and, and it actually is equal pay across the board. So we feel really good about that. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's one way to define equity. Mm -hmm. Another way to define it is if they have an actual voice. Who cares if we make the same? But you still dictate everything. We might get the same paycheck, which is nice, right? But there's, I wouldn't call that equal. Is there equal influence? There's many different ways to define that. And So, so I, I think the de and I conversation is uh, is very, very, very challenging on on a lot of sides because, um, in in my uh, humble opinion, I don't know that there's a whole lot of honesty from either side. And what I try to do. When I step into an organization is I try and get people to be honest first. And I don't tattle on, you know, both sides. But I can just tell you from working with a lot of people who are Caucasian, what they have learned from culture is how to not get canceled. And the way you you not get canceled is you just say nothing. Mm. You just got quieter. So one person might go, oh, they woke. They with us. No, they're not. They're actually sleep. They're tired. They're just not saying anything. And so because they haven't said anything, they've just, they've, what we've taught them are the landmines not to step on. doesn't mean they change. Doesn't mean, and so there's a conversation, a real conversation that I think has to happen beneath the, the typical DNI conversations, because there's, and again, I, I just speak to so many people on all sides of it and in some places there's real change and then there's other places where let's just say they got really great websites
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know that's again why it was so important for what we do here at our organization when the george floyd situation happened and all the protests were happening a lot of brands and organizations decided to speak up a lot of them did say you know what, hey you know what we we can do better we haven't maybe done what we could let's we'll make an effort to try right and we are such an inclusive organization to begin with from who we have employed even our 1.5 million like you know members in the community but we really thought something that was tangible let's do scholarships specifically for particular demographics and you know they're part of this equitability you know but you're right those are actionable things those are things that people can really do as opposed to just checking a box to change a few words in the website to say we are an inclusive organization you know what what have you done to really try to help a marginalized group in some way so that's to be commended though for anyone who does at least want to have the conversation but then they have to do the actions or else it's really just lip service which is you know yeah it also reminds me of that really and the world of advertising so many bad things i say mistakes are made one of the most embarrassing was a couple of years ago the Kendall Jenner uh Diet Coke commercial where she likes she she ends racism with a Diet Coke. She infiltrates the <laughs> the riots and she hands a guy a Diet Coke and like it was the most horrendous commercial insulting for anyone who's ever been, you know, really in the throes of racism. Um, but diet, you know, but Coca-Cola got dragged for that. She got dragged. They pulled the commercial and I was like, you know, I bet there was no black people in that creative meeting. 100%. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> because, knows it, Right. There's no way that would have seen the light of day if there had been other people at that table, which is exactly what you're saying
1: too. And they could have got somebody to sit at that table for free. hmm. Sure. Urban like, street ain't gotta, and- you, I ain't say go pay Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just get some black folks. <laughs> like you right. could have put a, a, a random black person off of the street and say, Hey, what do you think? This is an idea before we shoot it, before, before we get hair and makeup.
0: Yeah. Here's a storyboard. Does it make sense? You know, and, uh, yeah, you're right. Cause they could have totally, hey, shoot, give somebody a couple of uh, six packs of Coca Cola. We'd have been cool, but yeah. So. So anyone listening, please have some people at the table who look like the demographic you are marketing to. And so another one of your, your uh, keynote talking points, this is the one I told you earlier. I got goosebumps. I said, this is the one. Oh my gosh. Never give up-ish. Mm. Man, when I tell you, because it is so true. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about it and then I'll share why it resonates so much for me. So please explain never give up-ish.
1: Well, as a keynote speaker, there's a line that it's it's like you have to use it at some point. Never give up, and it it feels good. But one day I just thought about it, and I'm and I was sitting with some friends who had some ideas, and I was like, "No, you need to give up. Please give up for the for the sake of your future and family and wife and kids. Please give up. You know." I got friends with rap dreams and some of them cold with it. That's great. But some of them not that cold with it and they still holding on to it. So it's, it, there is the yeah, never give up ish. So we created this rubric um, that is outlined in my book, chasing failure of going, Hey, how do you know when you should try again? Cause everybody experiences failure, but when should you get back on the horse versus now nah, you need to leave that horse alone. Cause I, I've just seen some people try to pull off things for 20 years and I'm going, I don't know if you want to stay in that line. And so I think really trying to figure out what is your sweet spot? What is the thing that you love to do? Where is your passion? Secondly, like, where is your skill set? And those two are so far from one another. Some people confuse passions with skill set. I love this. Does not mean you are good at it. <laughs> and some people also confuse skill set with their passion. You are really good at it. You hate your life. I can't tell you how many athletes retire early. just tired. They don't have a passion for the game anymore. They're really good at it. But now they're like, I want to move on to real estate. You are not good at real estate. <laughs> You're good. You're good at football. You're good at baseball. You're good at basketball. Now you got to surround your that self-awareness piece of going, okay, should I keep going? Should I not keep going? So, I, I, so I, you know, a couple boxes you got to check. Am I passionate about this? Do I actually love this too? Am I good at it? And, and has that been verified by other people? What do other people go? You're so good at this. Besides your mom, because your mom wants right. to tell you. Because she's going to always say, baby, you're good. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The third box that I think has got to check is, do you have opportunities to do that thing that you love that you're good at? Are people asking you to do it? Some people go, well, I want to start a podcast. Has anybody else asked you to start a podcast? Are you a great interviewer? Are you a thought leader? Has it been verified by others? Do you have an opportunity to do that? Sometimes you got to create your own opportunity, but is is there an opportunity that meets passion, that meets skill set? And, and the fourth box that I think you should check is, do you feel like it's a God-given purpose? Do you feel like you were put on planet to do it? I got introduced to speak a couple of days ago, and this is what the guy who introduced me said. He goes, I heard Ryan speak two weeks ago, and I'm confident that today when you hear him speak, what's going to go through your mind is God put this man on the planet to communicate. And I honestly, I, I can't think of a better compliment. Not, oh, you did great. Not, oh, you're a really good speaker. Not, oh, I loved your book. But for you to be walking in the purpose that God has given you on the planet to go, I was born for this. Man, you check all those boxes. Yeah, you should keep going. Three out of four. Okay. Two out of four. Sometimes you're failing on, for a reason so that you know what not to do. I was talking with a, uh, an executive yesterday who their CFO came to them and said, if you want to be CFO someday, you're going to go need to go get a degree in accounting. She had a degree in in finance, but not accounting. So she went back to school for accounting and she had to take a, a test to get a particular license to even be considered for future CFO roles. And she failed the test and she went, thank God I didn't want to be CFO anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But it took her two years of taking those classes to go. I don't actually like accounting and accounting is far from just being over finance. It's like, so, so, so understanding that like, no, sometimes you do some things to figure out what you're not going to do. And sometimes I think discovering your purpose and discovering what you were born to do it is process of elimination.
0: Mr. Ryan Leek, author of Leveling Up, 12 Questions to Elevate Your Personal and Professional Development. We appreciate you being here today on Motivational Mondays. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.